This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Hello, kia ora, alaikum. Welcome to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. Um, I am super excited to be sitting here and recording. Um, this episode is dedicated to those who are new or beginning their anti-racism journey, or you know, kind of figuring out what, how they, how yeah, how you wear allyship or um, solidarity, what that means and looks like to you, and you know, kind of paving your own way um, in this space. Um, I have, you know, the reason why I wanted to do this um, is because it's so, so important to seek that education. And that education can come in many, many, many different forms. I mean, there are so many amazing podcasts and documentaries and books and movies, um, you know, all kind of bringing up um, topics that often come up when you're talking about anti-racism like privilege and bias and lived experiences and solidarity and using your voice and you know the list is endless in this space but there are you know there are so many forms of this education um, and I know that we are all unique and individual and there will be some forms of education that will resonate with us more than others Um, and I think one big thing that often comes up especially when you're kind of beginning this journey is that this education can be easily accessed and best understood when it comes from you know people in your lives that have experienced racism I mean it doesn't matter how close or distance the relationship may be whether it's like your inner circle um your significant other or it could be on the extreme end of you know like you know the same person who the same person who takes the same train with you exact same time like you you know each other but you just you're not super super close and all the other relationships in between you know work colleagues, um, acquaintances, et cetera, et cetera. But I think there's this assumption that if you're talking to people that you know who have experienced racism, that is, this is the best way of getting that information. This is the best way of understanding. And this is the best way to know what to do. And I think there are several things that are problematic with that. Um, number one being that it's a really big expectation for those who have experienced racism to carry out um you know for me personally I am you know more times than not I am more than happy to speak up and share my experience and my story um in the hopes that you know for the purpose of that education or for the purpose of kind of opening that door for someone to invite them in to stay in this corridor um you know for the rest of their lives or just to even open the door and and put a foot in Um, I'm more than happy to do that but it definitely comes at a cost because 
you know, if you, it's kind of hard to explain just how harmful and painful it is to carry if you have the privilege of learning about racism as opposed to experiencing it. But with, you know, anything else in life that is traumatic, to sit with it, um, to interact with that um, memory, to interact with a, in a way where you then extract insights and education and learning for that, for others, it's a lot. It really is a lot. Because um, with any other painful things that happen in life, it's like a sore wound, like you need time to heal. And even if it's something that's long gone and you've healed, like it, it kind of is like a reminder that it, it happened to begin with. And, um, you know, it's a lot. So when I do opportunities um, like that, um, the self-care before, during and after, it's um, I do prioritize that because if I don't, um, I don't know, it's just it leaves me in a really funky headspace. And so, you know, it is what you're asking someone to share is not um, a casual light thing. It is really intense and heavy. The other thing that's problematic with that is that there's, it's the assumption that that is the best way to learn. Um, and I suppose, well, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and theorize because I'm not too sure exactly, but maybe it's that assumption because it's a first-hand experience and it's um, humanized that it will be um, a a lot easier to understand. And um, that is not true. Um, There are different ways of gaining that connection and investing yourself um, with the issue at hand that doesn't involve, um, you know, assuming that someone else's trauma will be the best way to learn that. And I think if that is, yeah, I would like to invite people to challenge themselves on that um, thinking, if that is the way that you think, because to really be invested in what you know in anything whatever it is like it has to come it has to come from you and I think you have to examine your own why you have to examine yourself like who are you as a person truly and 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 deeply and you know why is it for you that it's important to connect with this um and I think that should be your main point of connection as opposed to, you know, hearing someone's trauma. Um, So, you know, there are many, there are different ways of getting that education. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to, you know, talk to people who look different to you and get that understanding. um, But you have to understand, you know, why if someone does say no, why they're saying no. And you have to understand that, you know, the onus is then on you to find other ways of getting that education. Um, But why I wanted to do this particular episode is that 
I, and I'm not going to dive deep into my story because I have done that on the show before, but I kind of wanted to speak to, you know, exactly how does or how has racism affected me. And I think this is my offering. This is my um, gift if this kind of education is the kind of education that you're you're craving and you're wanting um because you know on some element I do understand what it's like when something is humanized for you and to and you know if something is humanized then you can start drawing those connections of curiosity and empathy amazing but I just wanted to First of all, have that corridor around um, getting that education from people who have experienced it because um, there are a lot of assumptions. And um, I'll, yeah, I'll never forget 2020 when um, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, the conversation was alight everywhere across the globe. And to, to be honest, even after the Christchurch terrorist attack too, um, people were really, really wanting to engage with, you know, how to be an anti-Islamophobic and, and how to be anti-racist and people kind of seeking that education through me. Um, and, you know, all of my other... Um, POC friends, we've like often discussed this idea as well. There's that um, expectation for education, um, and and you know it is it is harmful when it's when there is that expectation, um, and if someone does say no, they have every right to do so. But this episode is me offering. Um, my experiences um to get that education um but please just be mindful why why people would say no if they do have that request um and I'm not going to get super in depth with my story but just kind of like a I literally wrote a list of how has racism affected me and to be honest this list is endless <laughs> it can keep on going and going but I've kind of condensed it down to the key things um and I hope by hearing hearing this um it you know invites you to come really open the door two feet in you are here present um and dedicated and committed to this journey of being actively anti-racist so the first thing that is on the list, um, and that is being considered less than um, and or hating myself. And to kind of expand on this point, um, and just a warning, all of this language ahead might sound um direct and intense and heavy especially if you don't have conversations like this often um, but I think it is an important reality that we engage with um, and sit with especially if we ever want anything to shift or to change or to move um, so yes the first thing on the list is being considered less than um, slash hating myself and I think this is really well there are many evils of racism but this is 
when I think about um, young Amal, or even when I look at my younger siblings, I'm like, this is the one that really gets under my skin and I think is truly, it's just so evil. Um, Because racism essentially tells you that you do not belong, you are not worthy, and, you know, you are not given permission to to be you and if you are you there's something deeply gross and wrong with that um there is yeah there's something deeply gross and wrong with that um and I think if I liken it to what it's like if you're comparing you know the my majority versus minority groups is the thing with majority groups is that there is this inherent acceptance you can you are okay you can be and do whatever you want however that looks like but when you are um, from minority group there's not that inherent acceptance and it's very much that feeling of well who you are is not quite right and so to fill in that gap you try to fill in fill it in with what society has accepted and for me that was the exact opposite of who I am you know like being Pakiha and not being a Muslim and um you know being not having super curly, coily hair. Like literally everything (laughs) about me um, I rejected. So then I could fill in that gap with what was accepted, um, knowing that I could never really fully fill in that gap because it's not like I'm going to change my skin colour or my hair's magically going to change texture and color um, and my eyes will also change color as well it's it's this it's like you're a rabbit or like running on a treadmill with a carrot on a string just out of your reach and you're running and it doesn't matter how hard you try you will never reach that carrot and you'll never get that inherent acceptance but you spend your life trying to seek what is already accepted because there is no room for who you are and how you show up in this world like there just is no room for that at all um and so yeah definitely being considered less than um led to this like hatred towards myself and I think disguised under that hatred is actually anger at a at a system at a society where I wasn't given that permission slip to just be me where it seemed like if you you know looked a certain way if you were part of the majority if you had that privilege you were born with that permission slip in your hand um and yeah but this hatred I carried it in a way where I was like this is actually my fault um and 
it was definitely directed towards me. So it just kind of added this other layer to, you know, the mess that was my, my like heart, spirit and brain. Um, and it all kind of stemmed from this feeling of being less than. And the next thing on my list that's that's related to that feeling of being considered less than um, carrying that hatred for myself is making myself really, really small and feeling apologetic all the time. And because I made myself feel really, really, really small, I never used my voice. And I think the reason why I did feel so apologetic um, is kind of like this apology for not being, for not being the majority, essentially. It was, and I'm, I'm just talking personally for me now, but yeah, just this carrying, feeling this, um, sense of being sorry all the time um and making myself very small um you know I'd if I could transform myself into a fly on the wall I would have because I just didn't want to be loud I didn't want to bring attention to myself I didn't want to make it even more obvious that I didn't belong and I I stood out for the wrong reasons and because I made myself feel so small um you know it got to the point where I was like well actually my voice doesn't matter who would want to hear it anyway what do I you know even have to contribute to this world um well even saying that aloud I'm like Oh, that is really heavy, and I'm I'm so glad that I have healed and decolonized. And I'm not perfect, and I'm not all the way there yet. Um, but you know, especially when I was younger, um, yeah, growing up, like I'm a '90s kid, um, especially in the early 2000s, just in particularly post 9/11. Um, And it was so insane because, you know, when 9-11 happened, I was just so young and I really don't remember it um, happening. I don't, I didn't understand the significance of it. But, you know, all I knew, like all little Amal knew was that, you know, if um, I made myself small and if I, you know, didn't really use my voice, then there would be less of a chance of people noticing and then that also meant less of a chance of people saying something or doing something um and if you take this idea of you know making myself feel small or just making yourself feel small it's a common thread that comes up in a lot of you know groups that are the minority or have been pushed to the fringes of society um it's not just a concept or a a thing that is unique to racism it is 
relevant to all the isms. Um, and I think it's this idea that if you are, you know, the one with privilege or part of the majority, you're automatically given the space. And not only given the space, but given the permission to take up that space as well. And for if you are part of a minority group, you are neither given the space and not given the permission to take up space as well and so because of that you just shrink yourself and make yourself small so you take up the least amount of space possible and and then this sense of feeling apologetic because you are taking whatever little space um you are take you, you the little space that you do have it feels like it's too much because again never given that space and never given permission to take up space and so it's always this feeling of um being really sorry um you know I think sorry is a really important word um but no one should ever feel like they have to say sorry for being themselves or for existing but that is that is how racism made me feel like like I had to be apologetic and I had to shrink myself and I couldn't use my voice at all. Um, And, you know, as I've grown up and I've learned to, you know, find my spine um, by healing and decolonizing myself, um, I've learned that I can take up space and it is okay um, for me to use my voice. But just because I now think that it doesn't mean that everyone else thinks that as well. And so even though I'm at a point where I am more sure of myself and and steadying in my footing, um, there's still, I meet that resistance and, um, you know, even to this day, now I still am undermined and I still have to um, push back if I am using my voice and I still have to push back um, when I feel that sorry bubbling up and I'm definitely not perfect. I think um, (laughs) I still over-apologize a lot, but it's definitely a lot better than it used to be. Um, But it's something that it still still affects me and still troubles me because even though I feel like I can take up all the space, um, there are definitely some uh, particular spaces and particular places that make me feel like I do have to be small and I should be silent and not using my voice. And, you know, that's how I know that. Well, I, I still know and there are many ways that I know, but... It's just interesting, you know, now that I'm not, I wouldn't say fully on the the other side of it, but, you know, I have worked a lot on my grounding. Um, It's interesting that, you know, because before I was putting that on me um, and it's interesting that it's still being put on me, but by other people. And because I have that strength in myself, you know, I'm able to navigate what it looks like pushing back on that. Um, 
but yeah there is definitely that sense of being made to feel small and people want you to feel small and when you aren't um there is that tone of surprise and there is that um like I'm I'm not going to name specific details but um you know there's this one time where I was in a situation and I was pushing back on this um feeling of wanting to you know wanting to be made to feel small and and pushing back on that um but there was this constant resistance and this constant pushback and I think for that um other person it kind of like bred this resentment almost um and I think honestly under that resentment there was fear that because but you know by me not shrinking myself then I was taking up whatever this person you know taking up this person's space directly like as a threat um but I know better now and I absolutely refuse to make myself small um but yeah it was just yeah that particular example was just so interesting in the sense that it was so obvious as well um and yeah that was um a hard situation to navigate but anyways making myself feel small um the next thing on the list is working really really hard to shatter the perceptions people have of me and you know as someone who is a black muslim woman living in Aotearoa there are so many things that just expectations and ideas that people carry about you as truth and as gospel like not even in a way where I'm like oh you know this is me you know this is potentially or potentially something that I could think about this person or the likelihood of this person being like xyz is is this much it's literally people carry it as if as if that is the only possibility the only reality and it is the truth um which to me I think is insane I think because for me I know that um I do not have the privilege of being nuanced and complicated and um having many many stories in in one person because I know I don't have that privilege I think when I cast my mind out to other people in our communities I I always carry that space for people to be complex and nuanced so for me it is it's just so wild to think that you know people carry this idea that they treat as the truth but I have found that in my life I've had to work really really hard to shatter the perceptions people have of me and you know as I've gotten older and have learned to not care as much I don't make it a priority to work really hard to shatter those perceptions or those ideas because it's just not for me to carry that it's actually 
you know the person on the other side who has to carry that sit with it and kind of investigate where is this coming from and investigate their own privileges and their own biases but you know the way that especially in my younger younger days gosh that makes me sound like a really old person I'm really not but anyways um yeah especially in my younger days I felt like I really had to carry that and shoulder that 100% but I have found in my life that I've had to work really really hard to shatter the perceptions that people have of me and you know there are so many wild ideas that people have about me because of you know how I look and where I come from and you know my the different identities that I carry with me um you know like people like I've been told so many times that they, you know, they've never really gotten to know someone who is, you know, wears a hijab or is black, and they're actually so surprised by how nice I am. And it's like, well, why is that such a surprise? It's um, so fascinating to me. Like, why is that such a surprise? But this can be. Um, on a systematic level, um, it can be at work, it can be in education. Um, one of my teachers genuinely thought that I could never do well um, in English and, yeah, just treated me horrendously um, in the class. And I think they their behavior was in alignment with, you know, whatever perception that they had of me. So whether it's something like a personality trait, like being nice or being um, open-minded or even just the activities that I do, um, you know, okay, just just a heads up I'm not a super fit person and I'm not like going on hikes all the time but like you know when I do do active things there is so many people who are so surprised by that and there's that perception that Muslim women aren't out there they don't do anything active um when like I know so many sisters who are like big swimmers and big runners and like do karate and um go hiking every other weekend like we do exist (laughs) um but there are all these perceptions that people carry as truth and gospel um and you have to work really hard to be like hey no this is actually who I am this is you know this is what I do this is these are the values that are important to me this is what my personality is like um and you have to it's almost as if you're trying to like break a box for people and so they can color outside of the lines and actually get to know you but I suppose yeah that and that's exactly what stereotypes are but people color exactly within the bounds that they have been told by society and dare not to color outside of those lines and it has to the onus is then on people like me who have to break those lines and be like hey look like these lines they do not exist (laughs) you are 
operating and thinking and believing within such a small and incorrect confine and confines that are usually you know paint you know people who are from minority groups in a really harmful and bad way like the amount of times that I have been questioned um whether it's been directly or very like indirectly um of being a terrorist which ah oh. <laughs> sorry I'm just kind of rendered to the point of no words because it just is ridiculous but there are people who actually do think that and refuse to color outside of those lines and it's hard hard work to break those lines and when in reality it should the onus shouldn't be of those who come from minority groups to um to break to break those stereotypes and to shatter those perceptions it's kind of like that point that I was making about the education it's hard exhausting work um it's it's as if you are screaming at the top of your lungs um but the wind is totally against you so it's being drifted away and the people who really need to hear it are just it's just not reaching um and it makes it even harder because actually if we ever want to progress or if we ever want to bring change um we all like everyone needs to be breaking those those um, barriers those lines down um so there is no lines for people to color within um but that needs to come from everyone and if it's just the minority groups who are pushing for that you know i don't think we are truly going to progress the next thing that is on my list is knowing that no one is going to protect you and what i mean when i say that is that there have been so many times in my life where i have been bullied or discriminated against um you know some some ways have been you know microaggressions or like very casual racism and some of them have been like a direct attack um both physically and and with words but very um harmful words um direct language that is derogatory and you know threatening language as well like I have been threatened before and oftentimes these have happened in very public spaces as well and um not like maybe once or twice like I can really I can only count a handful of times um, where someone has said something but most of the time no one has said anything people just kind of put their heads down um, keep going on with their day Um, but no one has stepped in to say anything and um, you are then left alone to protect yourself and you know why I wanted to put this on the the list especially the condensed version is that when you 
are lacking privilege and you do speak up for yourself um, it's a really really unsafe to do so actually and and there have been so many times where I've just had to endure and not say anything because I know that if I speak up it will lead to more um, damage and I think the most painful thing about knowing that you are actively being discriminated against and you know in some cases I've gone through I definitely would go as far as saying you know abused um when you're being abused in front of other people and no one says anything to mitigate that harm it's so dehumanizing it is so painful it's yeah like it's so hard to know that you know, and this is going to sound really dramatic, but I think deep down at the core of it, this is kind of how it feels like. It's like you're being told in a way that you are not important. You are lesser than. You, you know, you are not valuable. You are not worth protecting. Um, and I think that is so, so harmful. And it kind of... Um, and it kind of links to a, another point that I have on the list, which is the fear of being attacked. And I think there is that fear of being attacked because you know that no one is going to protect you. Um, you know, for me, I have to think about, you know, what kind of situation am I getting myself into? Um, what are, you know, what are the people there going to be like? Um is there a way that I could get out just in case? Um, is this place safe? You know, you really have to think about all of these things um, just because you just never know what could happen. And if something does happen, you need to know how to get yourself out of it. Um, and I think for a long time, actually, now that I'm talking about this, I this explains why I have a fear or like an anxiety of public transport. Not so much anymore, because now that I live back home in Pohnake, it is, it is a necessity. <laughs> but for such a long time, a strong aversion to public transport, because <clears throat> it's just so public. And I think like my most my more traumatizing um incidences always seem to happen on public transport um and that's horrible because it's not like you can go anywhere like clearly everyone is either on the bus or the train to get somewhere so you kind of just all sitting with the same set of people who did nothing to protect you um to offer that support so yeah there is always kind of that fear of being attacked and I, I think now that I'm a little bit older maybe that fear has transformed into caution um, I definitely enter situations um, very cautiously just because you know you never know what could happen you are very aware of the perceptions that people carry you're very aware that you know things could go south and because of you know no matter what ends up happening because of those perceptions um because of the stereotypes um you know your your voice is not always heard you're not always believed um 
you're always kind of painted in a negative light and so that means you won't be validated and people will behave and um from their from their assumptions and that means that you know you could be treated in a particular way um and so <clears throat> because of all of these risks all these extra things um you do enter situations cautiously and you know those with privilege i think and i i know this because they're in i i know that i talk about how i i do like that privilege but there are in some ways i do have that privilege and when you do have that privilege there's that safety blanket hey like this you know that you're going to be okay you know the risks are very minimal um there's just no need to enter a situation cautiously because you know that whatever is ends up happening you will be heard you will be you will be validated and a solution will be sought, whatever that may be. Um, but if you don't have that privilege, actually the risks are too high and can lead to very, like walking into situations on very on a very shaky foundation. And so, yeah, when you are affected by racism, you do enter situations cautiously and you there is that fear of being attacked and I think for my parents it was particularly scary because you know we are immigrants to this country and they know that there's just not much they can really do for us because it's not like our parents can be by our side 24 7 protecting us and so um it's really it's really really scary it is it is really really scary um and so just going back to that original point of knowing that no one is going to protect you that's why it's so so important for people for everyone involved in this um you know, being anti-racist, um, or just any kind of allyship where you're, we're all fighting against a particular ism. For those who do have that privilege, it is so important to speak up and use your voice and to use your privilege as a shield and to offer that protection. Because when you do do that, you are taking the burden off the you know, the group or the community that doesn't have that privilege and you're actually saying, hey, like, you are important to me and I want, this is me actively giving my privilege to, to protect and to be in solidarity and to bring you up because that is, like, I so wish that there were times where people would have protected me because that would have brought me up, but it's kind of, like, as I was kind of making up this list I just realized like just how much of it um interacts with each other and influences each other because no one because I knew that no one was going to protect me it fed into that feeling of being less than and then it fed into that feeling of hating myself even more um 
and that you know that hate of just because I didn't fit in but it all kind of feeds into each other and so it's so important to speak up um, because you know there is that privilege there so please use your voice show that solidarity and speak up and use your privilege as a shield to protect others because it does happen it does happen in Aotearoa it does happen even in 2022 people say horrible things and feel like they can say those horrible things because you know if you do have that permission if you do have that privilege you do have that permission slip to to use your voice to and to to use it um, loudly and to be you know emboldened to do so and not seek have you know not seek those um repercussions and so it's so so important to use your voice and especially if you are in not only if you have that privilege but if you are in positions of power please use your your privilege um you know because there have been countless times where you know you do the right thing you you do go see the teachers or you go see someone in a leadership position um but again it's just that deafening silence still and yet again you are left on your own um to protect yourself which is so not okay so not okay at all um and the last thing that's on the condensed version of the list but let me tell you this list could go on forever and ever and ever but the last condensed thing that is on this list is interacting with the system you know whether it's the education system whether it's um our health system whether it's um getting out like you know those who do have authority or systems where there is that sense of authority um it's again entering those situations with caution because and i think this is where especially in especially in aotearoa it's so dangerous because i think we like as a country we think that oh you know we're not we're not a racist country, like, we don't have anything super obvious, like, the KK clan running around, um, we don't have segregation, everyone has equal rights and opportunities here in New Zealand, and I suppose if you look at, um, if you look at it from that very limited point of view, I suppose, yeah, like, you know, anyone who is a Kiwi can, you know, apply for, you know, the benefit or everyone, or if, you know, things don't go um, well for you, you have the right to complain. Um, but, and and so in theory, it look, sounds like our systems are built for everyone and, you know, everyone can get the same equal opportunities but this is where we really need to like sit with it and be really really real in theory it might sound like that 
but actually in practice the way that racism has disguised itself it's literally made itself it's like as if racism is put on an invisibility cloak and we think that it's not there but it goes by another name it go it has a different tone to it maybe it's a little bit casual maybe it's so institutionalized and it's put us put itself in our blind spots that we think it doesn't exist but it truly does um you know going to the doctors and seeking medical help as a black woman you know my symptoms will present differently um, and so they're not taken seriously or you know I apply for you know people I know have applied for jobs um, and it hasn't hasn't worked out well um, and it's often because of their name and I know people who have changed their name so exact same CV same experiences um, but a change of name oh well, who all of the job opportunities have come through or to anticipate that people give their children um, Pakiha names so then at least that is one way they can be shielded um, which is ridiculous um, in our education system the way that we support or well, the way that we don't support rather those who lack privileges and come from minority communities it's just all it's insane and you know for me as a black muslim woman i don't look at the system and think that there's no racism because because of my experiences racism isn't in my blind spot it doesn't like i know exactly how to name this because it's something that directly affects me. But I think in Aotearoa we just have this idea that, you know, because it's not this um, based on hate and it's not as obvious as it is in America that it doesn't exist here. But the way that I, my experiences of the system, and I know that there's a lot of um, POC, uh, so people of colour, communities friends family that have you know shared the experiences and you can just see how racism shows up in how people treat you the stereotypes that people operate from the way that because of those um stereotypes and the expectations that people have of you um the way that they those opportunities that they say are there for everyone, the way that's a lot harder to access to the point where it almost couldn't, it, it's just not even on the table because it is so hard to get to it and to access it. So many barriers that if you do have that privilege, those barriers wouldn't be there at all. Um, and so that's why it's so important to get that education because if you are interacting with systems without those barriers being present then it would be so easy to think that racism doesn't exist but yes yeah, so many, countless times whether it's interactions with doctors or mental health services or the police um 
like and this is me just talking about my personal experiences um racism has kind of held their hand side by side and it's kind of like an invisible friend but racism has definitely held their hand kind of nudging them a, di- a certain way um and so this system that is theoretically meant to serve everyone is now you know not ta- yeah taken away made a lot harder to access um and so yeah that's why i put interactions with the system and so this this whole thing with this this list um and why i wanted to do this episode is you know this is the key ways that racism has affected me and why i wanted to share this is i just wanted to humanize racism especially in the Aotearoa context and what it means for me as a black Muslim woman living here in Aotearoa this is what it looks like this is how it's um, impacted my life and how it's impacting my life the way that I allow it is different now that I am stronger in myself but these are situations that I have to face on a on a daily basis um, on a daily basis and if you are new to this journey, it's so important to understand and name and be able to recognize the many faces that racism has and the way that it affects people. Um, And I hope that by hearing how it's affected me and then invites you to really step into this conversation fully. But if you want to step into this conversation fully, you have to understand that Um, you also have to step in for yourself. It's not just because, oh, like, racism has affected Amal in this particular way. I want it to be a reason to come in, but it's not going to be enough of a reason to stay. If you want to stay in this conversation, it has to come from you. You have to examine and talk with yourself and sit with it while, you know, hearing what Amal has said today and what her experiences are like, what does this actually mean to me as a person? Um, What do I make of it? Does this sit with my values? Um, Does this, how can I use this to inform how I use my voice, how I extend my hand, how I show that solidarity. These are the things that if you are able to sit with it and answer it, these are the things that are going to make you stay. And so I hope that by listening to this episode, it has been a reason to open the door and to start this conversation. Um, But if you want to stay you really have to look within yourself and um, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be so worth it. Um, And I kind of want to finish on this quote um, that I read. um, And yeah, it's really stayed with me. And it's like, you know, um, education and books and, and documentaries and films and, you know, all these types of other things. Um, high education because I know that you can like study in 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 this space and you can get that that paper and that will give you knowledge but it's not until you examine your you know the darkness or the darkness within you 
then you gain that wisdom and knowledge is really really important but also so is wisdom when you are if you want to be actively anti-racist and so I hope that this episode has been an invitation to seek that wisdom because we need the knowledge and the wisdom thanks for tuning in Thank you for tuning in into another episode of Headscarfs and Good Yarns. To keep spinning the yarns, let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Headscarfs and Good Yarns or email us at headscarfsandgoodyarn at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.